0: Welcome to the BPH series of podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Boston Scientific um, BPH series of podcasts. Um, We hope you enjoy this series. I'm joined today by Mr Gordon Muir, who is a consultant urological surgeon working at King's College Hospital, and he has a specialist interest in BPH. My name is Francesca Cumm, and I am a HOLEP fellow, and I've just completed a year of learning HOLEP um, and hope to continue on this BPH work. So today the theme of our podcast is to look at our high-risk patients. Um, A lot of us would definitely have some of these in our practice. Um, And so my first question to Mr Muir is firstly, how do we define our high-risk patient group?
1: Well, I think different people define them in different ways, but I think we could take, for example, the the very big prostates, greater than either 80 grams in North America or 100 grams in the UK. If you remember back to the TURP early days, there was a significant worse outcome uh, and morbidity with retention patients. I think the very elderly, although not necessarily what I would agree with, are looked on as high risk by most doctors. We can perhaps challenge that. Those patients on ongoing anticoagulation, whether that's uh, antiplatelet agents or whether that's just a little bit of aspirin or whether that's uh, NOACs or warfarin... And lastly, the very unfit ASA-3 for patients. And particularly there, we're thinking of those patients we see a lot of nowadays who have pacemakers or defibrillators or thalamic stimulators, which cause major problems with diathermy Mm -hmm. systems. So that, I think, is how we look in the high-risk patients.
0: Great. Um, So you've um, described kind of a group of different patients. Um, What are the main challenges that you envisage kind of perioperatively taking them through their pathway?
1: Safety is by far the most important thing, and I think to be safe, you have to individualise care for the individual man. Uh, what's good for a 61-year-old taking 75 milligrams of aspirin because his partner suggests he should, and for a, an 89-year-old with a defibrillator on uh, a NOAC and with 130-gram prostate are not the same thing, but they can both be, be very safely managed. So you have to individualise the care and have a good team.
0: Excellent. And so going back, I guess we've travelled a long way looking at how technologies have changed. Um, So I know we now describe a kind of a BPH portfolio or a toolbox of options, um, and a lot of these are minimally invasive. Um, How would you suggest um, considering different patients for different operations um, and comparing this to our traditional open prostatectomy days?
1: Sure. Well, I think I use most of the options available. I think in this group, prostatic urethral lift, uh, or prostatic em- artery embolization don't have a major place, nor does the prostate uh, opening device. Uh, I use this a lot in younger patients, particularly to- keen to preserve sexual function. In most of the high-risk patients, we're looking for a definitive solution rather than just treating low-level symptoms. I'm not saying they're not the right thing, but we don't usually use them. Then moving on to water vapor therapy, therapy. Uh, and perhaps TURP in that area, but I don't use TURP as a routine. For the high-risk patients, you really have one bite of the cherry. You want to do it properly and not have to do it again, I think, Uh, although patient uh, choice is still important. And then we look at the two workhorses in our practice, which are green light laser prostatectomy and holmium laser prostatectomy, Mm -hmm. or HOLAP, very, very safe, can be used for a big crossover group of patients, but there are some benefits of one and some of the other, which means that I think we should be offering both options.
0: And when we look back at our patient cohort, um, we sometimes see patients who have a long-term urethral catheter. Um, Would you ever consider this as being their only option? And some patients had previously been told elsewhere that this is their only option. Um, what, What options do we have for these patients?
1: I mean, at King's, we... We have for years had a non-admission pathway for retention for the majority mm-hmm. of the patients. They come to the NE, they catheterize, we do a trial without catheter an alpha blocker after a couple of weeks. And if you mm-hmm. fail that trial without catheter, they put on the day surgery waiting list. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we still have a problem with waiting lists, but there shouldn't be with that. It's all manageable.
0: Mm. So it's about stratifying when yeah. the patients can get their operation and which one. Um, and then, of course, offering them which operation would yes. suit them best. So I guess if we kind of move on to a, a potential high-risk patient, um, kind of looking at a very large or a large prostate, so if we were to have a patient who has a 100cc prostate who, as as you said, has come into the um, A&E or accident emergency department, has ended up with a catheter, he's tried his alpha blocker for a week or two and then has failed his trial without catheter, catheter, um, what options would we have for this um, patient?
1: If the only problem is a big prostate and uh, a catheter, I would be discussing sexual function, particularly ejaculation, with this patient. Some men that's not relevant for. Uh, if the man's not concerned about ejaculation, hold-up is the clear choice. But if the same man uh, is on an anticoagulant or if he's got an fraction of 20%, then a relatively short green light may be a safer option. It will still get avoiding it. It's Nobody has ever it. asked me for a flow rate <laughs> of 25 mils per second. Mm-hmm. They want to be peeing without a catheter, mm-hmm. and some of them want to still continue their sex life.
0: Yeah, and have an improvement in their symptoms, et cetera. Exactly. Definitely. Great. So looking at this um, portfolio of operations and then moving on to about our anaesthetic risks, um, we know that we have to work very closely with our anaesthetists. Um, but looking at these options, then how how does this um, play a part with our anaesthetic choices? Yeah.
1: Apart from perhaps the man who's has a recent cardiac event, we don't see patients who are not fit for anaesthesia. Um, so the, most importantly, I think, more than surgery, is having really good anaesthetic colleagues. If a junior anaesthetist turns up and sees my... 88-year-old man with a defibrillator on clopidogrel with a 90-gram prostate and retention, uh, they'll run away. Uh, Whereas we manage these patients very safely on a routine basis, but you need the whole team. You need senior anaesthesia, smooth anaesthesia, safe anaesthesia. We don't tend to use spinals. It slows us down. It means we can't do catheter removal on the same day. Uh, and we like, very, very light general anaesthesia. It's safe, reliable, but you need good anaesthetists.
0: So it's a very good balance um, between working with them. And moving on to just looking at kind of our... We mentioned about day case procedures and preempting um their patient pathway. What can we do to optimise that?
1: Well, having the patients know what's happening is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, making them want to go home. And, again, mm-hmm. some people will keep elderly patients in hospital... Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're scared to send home, don't, you know. A man's bed is the safest bed for him. So sending patients home is the safest thing for them in nearly all circumstances, as long as there's support. You can't send a 90-year-old home to his 89-year-old wife who's just had a stroke, so you've got to be sensible about it. But good support, good hospital at home and good patient expectation is what matters. Definitely.
0: Yes, and also the access to them coming back if they have any issues and contact numbers, and it's all about safety blanket. These
1: patients must have early access. We send patients home sometimes with a catheter to remove themselves. We've had almost no problems with self-catheter removal, Mm -hmm. but they've got to be able to get in touch with us. You've got to have continuity of support for the patients because these are still major operations in high-risk patients. There's plenty of data for both Green light and holmium are showing that we can get better than 98% avoiding mm-hmm. without a catheter of a green light and 99 to 100% per whole lab. Mm-hmm. So, condemning a amount catheter is not appropriate.
0: That's very good, very true. So, our next case um, say, for example, we were to have um, an elderly gentleman, 80, 85 years old, who, is, who has a significant cardiac risk, um, is also on anticoagulation. Um, how would you approach this patient?
1: Again, as an individual, we want to speak with the cardiologist. We want to speak with hematology if that's necessary. Uh, don't stop his clopidogrel yourself. The mm-hmm. risk of a man surviving an acute stent occlusion is around about 35%, so it's a bad thing to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to continue clopidogrel. We don't really mind clopidogrel. Mm-hmm. If we can get the INR below 2, mm-hmm. then we'll be happy with or warfarin. Uh, If the INR has to stay high on that, we'll tend to put them onto unfractionated heparin, but still operate Mm -hmm. with the unfractionated heparin. And we Mm -hmm. always put the anticoagulated patients onto a 5-ARI for a month beforehand. Mm -hmm. Um, If somebody's been put on 75 milligrams of aspirin by their wife, we don't Mm -hmm. mind. If it's by their Mm -hmm. cardiologist, we keep it on.
0: And then post-operatively, looking at those patients, what advice do you give about colour of their urine or um, anything else? Uh, well, again, safety? I'm talking very much mm-hmm. green light.
1: T- you know, Holap is safe in anticoagulated mm-hmm. patients, but I think we, there is more bleeding with Holap mm-hmm. than with green light. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a relative safety. Uh, but with both laser ro- laser prosthetics, we'll say you can expect to have a bit of blood in the urine for the first two or three days, and that will be a little bit pink, and then it'll mm-hmm. be a show of blood for up to a month. If they're on ongoing anticoagulation, they will have hematuria for a month not to worry about it unless uh-huh. it's clotty or bright uh-huh. red.
0: So thank you very much. Um, hopefully you've learned a bit from this um, podcast. So hopefully we've covered a bit about our day case opportunities, our ability or the necessity really to deal with patients' expectations, ensure they have a good support network, our very large prostate, our patients in retention, the elderly and the comorbid patients um, as, ty- as time goes on. Thank you. Thank you. Water vapour therapy, PVP, and enucleation are therapies intended to treat benign prostatic hyperplasia, or BPH. The law restricts these devices to sale by or on the order of a physician. Indications, contraindications, warnings, and instructions for use can be found in the product labelling supplied with each device. Products discussed for information purposes only and may not be approved or for sale in certain countries. This material is not intended for use in France. All rights reserved to Boston Scientific Corporation or its affiliates. These materials discussed are intended to describe common clinical considerations and procedural steps for the use of reference technologies, but may not be appropriate for every patient or case. Decisions surrounding patient care depend on the physician's professional judgment. Boston Scientific, BSC,
1: does not promote or encourage the use of its devices outside approved labeling.